want to welcome everyone here tonight, especially those that are visiting with us. It's good to have you come and be with us tonight. Uh, we're continuing our lecture series tonight that has been entitled, We Are Members. Oh, got the wrong thing up there. We are members of one another, as uh, the lecture series has been titled. We get this from Ephesians, the fourth chapter. This statement we see in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 25. Let me see if we can get this going. There we go. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, in verse 25, it says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And then also we see this in Romans, the 12th chapter, where in verse 4 it says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. So we see that we who are members of the body, the one body of Christ, are members one of another. But what does that mean, we are members one of another? Well, we are one in purpose. We are unified with one purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God by doing what is best for the body, the one body. And what is best for that one body is what is best for every member of the body. So each one of us are to look out for what is best for every other member. When, when one falls, we lift them up. We do what we can to encourage and strengthen each member of the body. And so we are responsible for looking out for one another. We are members of one another. We're dependent on one another. And we're dependent on making sure that we remain strong so that the body, the one body, remains strong. Members of the body are to work together in harmony performing their own function so that all members of the body remain strong and the body as a whole remains strong. And so last week, Simon began the lecture series talking about if you bite and devour one another. And tonight our topic is through love, serve one another. This is the attitude that the Lord desires and expects all members of the body to have, an attitude or mind to serve, to serve one another through love. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. We're going to start, start off in Matthew, the 25th chapter, and, uh, in verses 21 and 23, where it says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. These are the words that we all long to hear when we stand before our Lord in that last day. We all want to be found by our Lord to be good and faithful servants. Good and faithful servants to our Lord and Master as we serve one another. These words are found in the parable of the talents spoken by our Lord as recorded in Matthew the 25th chapter verses 14 through 30. And in this parable we see that all of us, all his servants, have been given talents. And these talents can be in the form of abilities or talents that he's given us. 
It could be means or possessions that he's blessed us with. And it could be opportunities that he's given us whereby we can use these talents, these abilities, these means and these possessions. God has given us these opportunities, these means and possessions and abilities and talents. And we're to be using them, employing them in serving one another. And as we serve one another with these talents that he's given us, we are bringing glory to our God and we are strengthening, strengthening the body of Christ. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 10, it says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So each one of us has received a gift from God, a special gift, and it could be a plurality. He's given us many gifts, but we have been given gifts from God, and we're expected to employ those gifts, the things that he's blessed us with, in service to one another. That's what he expects. That's what God desires from his servants, from his people, is that we take what he has given us, the gifts that he has given us, the talents, the abilities, the means, the possessions, and use them in service to one another. We're not to be using them just to satisfy our own needs or to accumulate more wealth for ourselves. We're to be using these things to serve one another. Jesus made it very clear in his teachings while he was on this earth that those that he and his father consider to be great are those who have a mind to serve and to put others' needs and wishes ahead of their own. We see this in Matthew, the 23rd chapter, beginning in verse 11. It says, But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then in Mark, the ninth chapter, in verse 35, it says, and he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So we see that the one that God, our Father, considers great is the one who becomes a servant to others. The one who God considers great is the one who becomes a servant and serves others. And it's he who humbles himself who will be exalted by God. And then in Mark 9, we see that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is, was on an occasion where they had come to Capernaum, and he asked them, what were you talking about on the way? And no one spoke. They were all silent because they had been talking about who was greatest. And so when no one spoke, he makes this statement, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So we're not to seek to be first, to be great, that's not what we are to desire. That's not what God wants us to desire. He wants us to desire and seek to be a servant, to serve others, to serve one another, to put others ahead of ourselves. So how do we become this type servant? That's what we want to talk about tonight. You know, if you're around someone long enough, you will be able to make a pretty good assessment of their attitude, their mindset. Are they ones who put others ahead of themselves and consider others' needs first? Or do they think of themselves first and put their own needs ahead of others? You can see this in the little things that they do. 
Do they, do, they, do they let others choose first? Do they let others go first, go ahead of them? Do they ask how they can help, or, or better yet, do they just jump in and start helping? Or do they just sit around and let others do all the work? When a decision is made on what a group will do, are they the first to make it known what they want to do, or do they defer to what others want to do? As you're around someone long enough, you can tell if they have the mind of one who seeks to be first and wants to be served, or they're ones, or they have the, the mind of one who puts others first and wants to serve. So how do we become the type servant that God wants us to be? So it starts from within. The condition of our heart and requires a renewing of our mind. In Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're not to be conformed to the world. The world, our flesh, tells us we want to be first. We want to satisfy our own desires, our own flesh. That's what the world and our flesh tells us. But we're not to be conformed to the world, but we're to be transformed. And we're to renew our minds. And that renewing of our mind is putting self last and putting others first. That's the renewing of the mind. It's denying ourselves and putting ourselves last and putting others First. That's a renewing of a mind. That's the transformation that takes place. When we take on the mind of Christ, that's the transformation that takes place. And it's not just that renewing of our mind. It's not just, well, I want to satisfy the flesh, but I'm going to put others first because I have to. It's truly a renewing of the mind. It's a transformation. A transformation is not, well, I'll, I'll I want to be this way, but I'm going to do this because I have to, and I, that's what I ought to do. The renewing of the mind is now we want to put others first. We become a servant. That's our mind. That's the mindset we have. We renew our minds. We transform from putting ourselves first to now we are serving. We want to put others first. That's what we desire. That's what bring, brings us joy. That's what brings us happiness because that's our mindset. We're taking on the mind of Christ, the mind of Christ, and that is a mind to serve. That's the renewing of our mind that we must take on if we're going to be the type servant that God wants us to be. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, and beginning in verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use the liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then also in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, beginning in verse 35, we see here that the, the Sadducees and Pharisees have been testing Jesus by asking him questions. Here we see that a Pharisee, a lawyer, comes to him and asks him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
So we see if we go back to Galatians 5, we see that we are to, through love, serve one another. And we see that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then we see when Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment in the law? He tells them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So how does all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands? If you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, where it talks about love. You remember in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 2, it says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. And so we could have all faith so that we could, remove, could move mountains. And if we give up all our possessions and give them to the poor, and, we, and if we die a martyr's death and are burned at the stake, but we do not have love, love for God and love for one another, it's worthless. It profits us nothing. So how can we satisfy the law if we don't obey these two commands, to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and our neighbor as ourselves? we don't have those, we don't obey those commandments, everything else is worthless. It doesn't, doesn't matter if we obey all every other law, if we're going through the motions and doing everything that's right, if we're not doing it through love for God and love for our neighbor, it's worthless. So we've got to have that love. We've got to be doing it out of love for one another, love for God and love for one another. And so, how do we become the type servant that God wants us to be? We've got to have that renewing of mind. We've got to have love for God and love for one another. And then we must take on the mind or the attitude of Christ. In Mark 10 and verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, Jesus has all authority. Remember in Matthew 28 and verse 18? It says, All authority hath, given, hath been given unto me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to our Lord Jesus in heaven and on earth. There's nothing else subject to him except God the Father himself that is not subject to him. But he has all authority. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's nothing other than God the Father himself that is subject to him. But yet, what does it say? He came to serve. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So it doesn't matter what position of authority we may have in this life. We, if Jesus gives us the example to serve, when he has all authority, then we are to be serving just as he served. Jesus made it very clear that serving others is the essence of truly being his disciples. Serving others is the essence of truly being his disciple. We cannot be a disciple of Christ 
without serving others. It's just we see it over and over, and we're going to continue to look at passages over and over, that we cannot be a disciple of Christ without serving one another, serving others. It is the essence of being a disciple of Christ. Just as Jesus was willing to be rejected by men and to go to the cross and be killed for all mankind, we must be willing to deny our selfish desires and ambitions, surrender our wills entirely to the Lord, and take up our cross daily and follow him. We see this in Luke 9, beginning in verse 21, where it says, But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what, does, what good does it do a person if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So we see here that we must be willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. This is not something that we will do occasionally. It's something that we do daily. It becomes a part of ourselves. It is what we are. It is who we are. That we take on the mind of a Christ and become a servant to others, serving others. It is something that we do daily as we follow Christ and take on the mind of Christ. So my life is not about satisfying self, but about serving others. In Philippians, the second chapter, passage that is very familiar to us, one that we looked at in the class this morning. In Philippians 2, it describes the, the character, characteristics and mindset of a servant, which are the characteristics and the mindset of Christ. Beginning in uh, verse, verse 3 of Philippians 2, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men and being found <coughs> in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we see here that we're not to do anything through selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider others as more important than ourselves and not just look out for our own personal interests, but for the interest of others. And that is by taking on the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. And so, we must be unselfish, humble, and regard others as more important than ourselves, and therefore put their needs ahead of ours. John, uh, 
In John, the 13th chapter, Jesus gives us the perfect example of what it means to be a servant. In John 13, beginning in verse 3, it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with a towel which he had tied around himself. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, otherwise he is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. It was, for the, it was for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example, so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So we see here that Jesus took on the role of one of the lowliest of slaves, one of the jobs that would have been normally performed by one of the lowliest of slaves, to wash the disciples' feet. And he says here, you know, he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you are correct, for I am your teacher and your Lord. So if the Lord and the teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And as we saw again back in Matthew 28 and verse 18, all authority has been given unto Jesus, both in heaven and on earth. He has all authority. And if he is their teacher and their Lord, and he's our teacher and our Lord, and he has all authority, and he took on this role to serve, then we should follow his example and be willing to serve, regardless of our position in this life. We must not seek to be first, great, or to receive the praise of men. We are to seek to please and glorify God. In Matthew, the 20th chapter, beginning uh, in verse 20, we read of the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and their mother, who come to Jesus and they make a request. And in verse 21, we'll start in verse 21, it says, And he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. 
yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So we see here that we're not to be seeking to be great, to have positions of authority, such as James and John were doing here. But we are to seek to be servants. We are to seek to, we are to humble ourselves and seek to serve rather than seeking to be great and to have positions of authority. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 11, it says, Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so as by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we see here that when we do serve, and we take the blessings that God has given us, the talents and abilities that he's given us, and we serve one another, we still are not to seek glory for ourselves, but we are to seek to glorify God, being thankful for the blessings and the abilities he's given us so that we can serve one another. So when we serve, let's make sure that God gets the glory. And so we must be humble and be subject to one another, not seeking power nor thinking too highly of ourselves. In First Peter 5 and verse 5, it says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. And then also in Ephesians 5 and verse 21, it says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then also in Romans 12 and verse 3, it says, For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So we see that we are to humble ourselves and be subject to one another. That means I need to, in my mind, subject myself to you, that your wishes, your needs are more important than mine. We're to be subject to one another. And we're not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. To subject or submit ourselves to one another is to consider others' wishes and needs more important than ours. And we're not to be puffed up by the gifts that God has given to us. And so we must realize that as we serve others and do all that we're commanded to do, we have not earned anything and are not owed anything by God. We are still unprofitable servants who have simply done what is our duty to do. We see that in Luke, the 17th chapter, beginning in verse 7, where it says, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he is coming from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will, will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So the mindset that we are to have as servants, when we take on the mind of Christ and become servants, 
we have the mind that when we serve, it's not something that we should receive reward for or be, receive any type of praise for, but we are simply doing what it is our duty to do. And that goes back to being that fully renewing of our mind, that full transformation that we realize that we are simply doing what it is our duty to do. So as we take on the mind of Christ and we serve one another, we must guard against becoming puffed up and feeling that God owes us anything. So as we take on the mind of Christ and become a servant to others, we see that this applies regardless of whether we're in a position of authority or in a position of a servant in this life. If we're in a position of authority and have others subordinate to us, whether it be employees or students, we are to serve those who are subordinate to us just as Christ came to the earth to serve us. That means we're going to put their needs, those that are subordinate to us, their needs above our needs. We're going to treat them the way we want to be treated. And so if we are an employer, if we're a manager or a boss in our place of employment, we're to be treating those that report to us like we want to be treated, serving them, looking out what, for what's best for them. That's the attitude of a servant, and that's the attitude that we should have. And if we're in a position in which we are subordinate to others, we are to serve by submitting to those who have authority over us, and we do this with the right attitude, not complaining about it, recognizing this is our duty as humble servants. And we do this, as we see in Ephesians 6, verses 5 and through 7, in the sincerity of our heart, with good will as to the Lord and not to men. So when we work, and we're working for our employer and for our, those that have authority over us, we do it as to the Lord, as to Christ. And we do it with all our might. Whatever our hands finds to do, we do it with all our might. And so as we take on the mind of Christ and become a servant to others, it will be reflected in every role and relationship in our life. It will be reflected in our families. A man who takes on the mind of Christ and becomes a servant to others will be a better husband and a better father. In Ephesians 5, we're going to look at that in just a minute. In Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 23, we see the type husbands and the type wives we should be. But in the home, it all starts with the husband and father. For those of us who are husbands and possibly fathers as well, God has given us the responsibility to lead and be the head of our families, providing for our families, providing for their physical needs and their spiritual needs. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, it says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And in the context, this refers to the providing for the needs of our aging parents. But the broader implication and application is that we have the responsibilities, responsibility for providing for all who are in our household providing for our wives, providing for our children, providing for our aging parents. We are to be providing for the needs of our family. As we see here in Ephesians 5, 
Beginning in verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands also ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself. So we see that as we take on the mind of Christ and become a servant to others, we will love our wives as Christ loved the church and came and gave himself for it. We will sacrifice all for our wives to the extent that we will die for her as Christ died for the church. We will love our wives as we love ourselves, as we love our own bodies. Our wife is a part of us. If something happens to her, it is, a, is, it is as if it happens to us. If she hurts, we hurt. If she's happy, we're happy. And so we look out for her physical and her spiritual well-being. So even though the husband is the head of his wife, he is in a position of authority in the home. He serves his wife by being unselfish, kind, considerate, and putting her needs ahead of his own. And also in Ephesians 6 and verse 4, it says, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A father is not to abuse his position of authority in the home and mistreat his children, but he is to take on the mind of Christ, the mind of a servant, by doing what is best for his children, by loving his children, and being willing to sacrifice his own time and interest for what is best for his children, by not spoiling his children, but applying the proper discipline and giving them the instruction and guidance they need to build a firm foundation, which is based upon, is based upon a love and respect for God and an understanding of his will. And so a husband and a father in the home is in a position of authority but they are to serve. They're to serve their wives, they're to serve their children, and put the needs of their wife and the needs of their children ahead of their own. Be willing to sacrifice, even to the point of death, what is best for them. So yes, we're in a position of authority, but we are also servants, serving our wives and serving our children, putting their needs ahead of our own. And then, in Ephesians, also, as a woman takes on the mind of Christ and becomes a servant to others, she will be a better wife and mother. In Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. 
Nevertheless, going and then in verse 33, nevertheless, as for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And then also in Titus 2, beginning in verse 4, it says, so that they, they being the older women, may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And so God has given the wife the responsibility to subject or submit herself to her own husband as to the Lord. The roles of the husband and wife are pretty clear. The husband is the head of the wife, and the wife is to subject herself to her husband. But as we see in verse 24 of Ephesians 5, we see that as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. They're to be subject to their husbands in everything. Of course, unless the husband requires her to violate God's will, and then she should obey God rather than man. But as long as the husband's not requiring her to violate God's will, she is to be subject to her husband in everything. But yet, as we've already seen, the husband is to serve his wife. He's to put her needs ahead of, her own, ahead of his own. But yet, the wife is also to subject herself to her husband. She is to love her husband, as we see in Titus 2, and love her children, be sensible, discreet, pure, chaste, a worker at home, kind, subject or obedient to her own husband. So the woman in her role as wife and mother is to serve by submitting to her husband and taking care of her family by being a worker or keeper of the home. So both the husband and the wife are to be servants. As we take on the mind of Christ and take on the mind of a servant, we are to be serving one another. When a husband and wife both take on the mind of a servant, the mind of Christ, there will be harmony, love, and respect within the home. When the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church and loves her as his own body, putting her needs ahead of his own, and when the wife loves her husband and subjects herself to her husband, putting his needs ahead of her own, there will be peace, harmony, love, and respect within that home. And as long as the husband and the wife both love the Lord, that home, that marriage will bear much fruit in the kingdom of the Lord. If both the husband and wife are putting the needs of the other ahead of themselves, both of them are doing that, you're going to have peace and harmony. And as they serve God, they're going to bear much fruit. But if you are a husband and your wife has not taken on the mind of Christ and is not fulfilling her God-given role of a wife, or you are a wife and your husband has not taken on the mind of Christ and is not fulfilling his God-given role as a husband, you are still required by God to fulfill your God-given role as a husband or wife, putting the needs of your spouse ahead of your own. It will be more difficult in that case if the other's not putting your needs first, but you still have that responsibility to put their needs first and continue to take on the mind of Christ and to be a servant. 
So as we take on the mind of Christ and become a servant to others, it is also reflected in the body of Christ. Elders will follow the example of the good shepherd. In John 10, beginning in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who has a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he has hired a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4, um, we see that elders, we'll look in verse 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not with greed, but with eagerness, nor yet as domineering over those assigned to your care, but by proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So we see that elders will follow the example of the good shepherd. And as Christ, the good shepherd, knows his sheep and cares for and protects his sheep, elders of a local church will know the members of their flock and will do all that they can to feed and protect their flock. The elders provide this service to the members of the church for which they have been appointed to shepherd and oversee. And we see in 1 Peter 5 that they do this voluntarily not for personal gain, but with eagerness, not for power, but to be examples to the flock. And this is a service they eagerly and willingly provide. And then also we see that deacons will serve willingly for the good of the flock. In 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8, it says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let those also first be tested then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. So deacons serve the local church, the local flock that they are a member of. It is a service that, that they provide willingly, not seeking glory or honor to themselves, but to do what is best for the flock and help to build up the local church, the local body of which they are a member. And then also, Brethren, all brethren within the local body, the local church, will look out for the needs of one another and seek to encourage one another. In Romans 14 and verse 19, it says, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. In Romans 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. So we're to be looking out what is best for the needs of the, the members within the body of which we are part. And so does serving one another mean that I must consider how my actions affect the conscience or spiritual strength of my brother or sister in Christ? Certainly it does. And not only that, even if I believe my action is right and acceptable to God, if I know my action will cause division in the body of Christ, or will cause my brother to stumble, I should not do it. And so we do have to consider how our actions will affect the other members of the body. And so even if we consider our actions to be right and acceptable, acceptable to God, if we know that it will cause division and cause, uh, cause my brother or sister to stumble, 
then we should not do it. And that goes back to putting others' needs ahead of my own. Giving up our liberties, giving up what would be good for us for what is best for others and for the best for the body of Christ. And so, as we take on the mind of Christ, as we take on the mind of Christ and become a servant to others, we see that it is reflected in how we interact, interact and relate to our superiors and co-workers in the place of employment. Let me get to that. In our places of employment. We'll be hardworking, dependable, and trustworthy employees. As we see in Ephesians 4 and verse 28, let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor performing with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. And as we see in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 5, it says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So we will be good employees, serving as if, as if to Christ, as we see uh, in Ephesians 6, as in sincerity of heart as to Christ, rendering service to the Lord and not to men. And also, we will work well with our co-workers, even when they do not treat us well. We will not seek an unfair advantage. In Romans 12, beginning of verse 17, it says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as depends on you, be at peace with all men. And when verse, verse, uh, in Romans uh, or 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 15, it says, See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another, for all men. And so when you have a co-worker that does something to make you look bad so that they look good, you should not return evil for evil. You should just continue to humbly serve God and do your job and not seek to return that evil when someone does something to you. That is the, the mind of a servant and the type of employee or servant we should be. We will always have the best interest of our subordinates at heart, treating them the way we want to be treated, as we talked about earlier. Uh, as we see in Ephesians, 6 and verse 9, it says, And masters do the same things to them, and the same thing being uh, as they do it, under, as they serve you as, as unto Christ, you're to oversee your subordinates as to Christ, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And then also in Colossians 4 and verse 1, it says, Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So if we have subordinates, those that report to us at work, we should be just and fair, treating them the way we want to be treated. And then also, as we take on the mind of Christ and become servants, it is reflected in how we interact and relate with all with whom we come in contact with each day. It is just part of our daily lives, whether it's uh, our neighbors, our friends at school, our teammates, our, the parents of our children's friends, those that we come encounter at the grocery store or the post office, we will, it will be reflected in every relationship that we have in life. We will be generous 
Uh, we will be kind and above reproach, setting good examples by the things we say and do. In Titus 2, in verse 7, it says, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So we're going to be the example we ought to be in both what we do and in what we say. And that's going to be reflected every day of our lives as we interact with others uh, each and every day. We will take advantage of opportunities to help others. In Galatians 6 and verse 10, it says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So we are to help those who are in the household of the faith, but not only those in the household of the faith, but also all men. As we have opportunity, we are to be doing good to all men. And then also, we will take advantage of opportunities to share the gospel with others. As Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, in verse 1, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and te teaching. So we're to be ready in season and out of season. At any time, we need to be ready to share the gospel. There's no greater service that we can provide to our neighbors than to share the gospel with them when given the opportunity. That is a service that we provide. And that is putting others ahead of ourselves and providing that service to those that need the gospel. And so the Lord has made it clear that those who are pleasing and acceptable, acceptable to him are those who serve others. In James 1 and verse 27, we see that this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So pure and undefiled religion involves helping others. The example here is visiting orphans and widows in their distress. And so pure and undefiled religion is, involves helping others. If we're not helping others and serving others, then we are not practicing pure and undefiled religion. Our religion is defiled, and it is not pure if we are not helping one another and helping others. The love of God, the love of God does not abide in us and our faith is dead if we see a brother or sister in need and have the means to help but choose to do nothing. We see this in 1 John 3, beginning in verse 16 where it says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So we see here that if we have the means to help, and we see a brother or someone that has need, and we don't fulfill that need, it says, how does the love of God abide in him? That's a rhetorical question. And the obvious answer is, the love of God doesn't abide in us if we do that. And he goes back, what, hang, what does all the law and prophets hang on? To love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we do not help one who has need, when we have the ability to do that, we don't have that love for God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. The love of God is not in us. 
if we have the means to help someone and we don't do it when we, when we have that opportunity. So we need to take advantage of those opportunities to help when we can. In James 2, it says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Jesus made it very clear that we will be judged in the last day by how we have demonstrated compassion and service to others. This is made very clear in the view that he gives us of the judgment in Matthew, the 25th chapter. In Matthew 25, and this is where we will conclude the lesson tonight. It says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then in verse 41 it says, Then he will say also to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This view of the judgment makes it very clear very clear that we will be judged in the last day by how we have demonstrated compassion and have provided service to others. If we see someone hungry and we do not give them food and thirsty and do not give them drink, do not give clothing to those that have a need, we do not visit those who are in sick and, and, and show compassion to those in prison and to visit them. These are examples of the type of service that we can provide. And when we have the means to do that and opportunities and we don't do it, we see that we will be held accountable for that. So, in, to close, to conclude, in Galatians 5, verse 13, it says, For you are called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. This is the essence essence of truly being a disciple of Christ. We cannot be a disciple of Christ without serving one another through love. So let us take on the mind of Christ, putting all others ahead of ourselves, and then through love serve one another. At this time, we're about to